Welcome to Education Suspended, a podcast focused on exploring, engaging, and dialoguing with those in education who are passionate about changing the status quo and evolving the archaic system we have inherited. Hey everybody, Jessica Pfeiffer, and welcome to episode six of Education Suspended. Yes, you are hearing chickens in the background. I am still sharing my office with six chickens, but we do not have time to go into that today. Anyway, we have an amazing episode for you um, in which we connect with Bucky Flores, who is a teacher and the current coordinator of the Launching Emerging Adults Program in Minnesota. He does a really kind of good job of reframing, you know, this notion of thinking outside of the box and what it means for us in education and, and really why that's that's so important. Um, he also highlights, you know, the importance of expanding the therapeutic web around our kids and thinking collaboratively, collaboratively, sorry, with community partners. Um, and, and I think it was just a good reminder for myself about why that's so important. So this is a great, a great conversation. Um, I also, you know, I've been thinking about it. I, I went back and re-listened to it. Um, Bucky is not a licensed tra- um, traditional teacher. And at one point in the podcast, he, you know, we talk about how I, I felt maybe that would be better for some of us as listeners. And I just wanted to kind of highlight that I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to all of our educators that are licensed, um, that maybe gone, that maybe went more of the traditional route. Uh, I work with those teachers every single day and you all do amazing work. I think what I'm trying to highlight is that coming from a non-traditional background into teaching also has its strengths. And I think in some degrees, like I said, it kind of gives Bucky the privilege um, to think about different interventions that maybe don't come to the forefront of our minds. so that's just kind of what I wanted to say about that. Um, but here is Education Suspended with Bucky Flores. Bucky, welcome to Education Suspended. It's good to see you. Uh, we recognize that you and Steve are actually only, I mean, maybe not even an hour apart. So, and I'm in Iowa for this recording. So even before we started kind of hit hitting the record button, we're like, oh, maybe we could have met somewhere in the middle, but um, thank you for joining us today. We're excited to kind of learn and hear from you. Um, yeah, let's start. Let's start with you, if you wouldn't mind, kind of introducing yourself to um, our podcast listeners and sharing what you do. And we always love to hear if it's comfortable to you. Love to hear kind of how your own journey as a student in education are there areas that really kind of transform and influence the work that you do now. Yeah. Um, well, first, just I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. Um, you know, Jessica, when you invited me, I was somewhat surprised. And I, um, I, I think I even mentioned to you, well, you, you do know that I'm a non-licensed teacher and a yeah. non-licensed staff and yep. don't don't have the traditional background in education. And, you know, your response was, well, that, you know, that might be a good thing. So, um, you know, just thank you for that, for the opportunity to share, um, you know, my experience and some of what I'm doing. Um, so my current position um, and, and work that I'm connected to is as a, a program coordinator um, for an alternative program with Rochester Public Schools. Um, it's a transition-focused program. Um, the acronym that we use is LEAP, which stands for Launching Emerging Adults Program. Um, and so my, my role in that is multifaceted. Um, 
you know, like coordinator is a fancy term for really being frontline. Um, I'm there every day, um, interacting with the participants and with um, the coworkers that I that I work with and are supportive of our participants and and then and then work to bring in um, other collaborative partners, um, help support and create and design the the structure of the program. Um, and really just try to foster strong relationships with their participants, as I, I would say, is the major focus of my day. Um, yes, yeah, so that's currently my, my employment. Um, you know, other things that I do, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a father and a husband. Um, um, we have a small property um, outside of Rochester, Minnesota. Um, an event venue that we're working on, some small barnyard animals and um, oh, yeah. you know, really just try to find a slice of the world that we can feel safe in and take care of and um, invite others to be a part of it. I love it. Um, my first question, so when you talk about kind of these adult learners, right, is, is the focus, what is the age group yeah. of a lot of your students and are there common experiences that kind of get students into your school? Yeah, great, great. So um, there are. So our, our age um, of the participants, it's actually maybe the, the most refri- refined criteria of LEAP is, is age related. So our, our target population is 16 to 21 year olds. Um, other factors that come into um, loosely defined criteria is that they're, they're eligible for enrollment within the school district in which, which we will operate from. Um, many of our participants have you know, considerable adverse childhood experiences. We, we see A scores of, you know, if it went up to 11, there would be 11, um, oh um, you know, that they're, they're hitting on all, all categories and questions. Um, many are currently living independent, either in supportive housing or, you know, with friends. Um, some are um, transitional. So, you know, finding a new place to stay several nights of the week. Um, all have a history of challenges um, in the traditional academic setting and all have, um, you know, either passed um, enrollment in special ed services and or we can make a current case for. So we're technically a setting for, federal setting for program. Um, And so typically education doesn't want to take someone from general ed and go right to that setting for level. Um, but if we can make a case that it's needed and necessary for an applicant, um, we, we can accommodate that, it, um, potentially accommodate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the, you know, the criteria of the program. Um, you know, I, I would say uh, some common, common characteristics of the participants additionally are, um, you know, somewhat defeated. Many have, some have dropped out of school and then this is an opportunity from them to return and complete something that they've communicated that they, they want to do. Um, but through experience and sadly, sometimes through communication, they've led to believe that it's not possible um, and have, have to a certain degree given up um, prior to um, enrolling and being accepted into the program that, that, that we coordinate. That's a, that's a lot. I'm, I mean, how, how do you find yourself trying to kind of rewire their <laughs> educational experience? That's, I mean, I can't imagine having a 16 year old showing up that's already dropped out of school, thinks that they're not going to be successful in this educational setting and then coming through your doors and like saying, okay, we got to make this work. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, there there was some considerable rethinking, and um, you know, first of all, just credit to those who came before me in the planning um, in the identification of a need. So, um, I wasn't I was not working with Rochester Public Schools when a when a team assembled of collaborative community members within within the city that, that included Rochester Public Schools and Olmstead County uh, behavioral health units and some other collaborative um, partners and community service providers. That, that identified despite all efforts, um, you know, it's not from lack of effort on other service providers or other um, education services being provided. Um, They're still recognizing that a certain population of students were, were falling, falling through the cracks and not, not being serviced and, and not finding success. And I think, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, that would have been okay. They said, oh, well, you know, we, We've done what we can, and, and and they're not going. We're not going to find an opportunity for them. Um, if, if the shoe doesn't fit, then you don't get to wear the shoe. Um, and to their credit, um, they recognized the need, um, got together around the table, and found some ways to try to address that need. And and then I was invited on to work with a team to try to try to create a program that could that could work. Um, and so. I, I, I want to make sure that you know they're recognized for their work before I was even included. Um, and and from there it was a really kind of I mean I remember asking early on in the in the interview and in the process like well what what are you thinking what what are you kind of hoping for and how do you want to see this program kind of run and and they they really kind of said you know let's rethink the box. Um, they had already done some things that they knew. Um, they knew it. They didn't want it in a traditional school building. Um, um, that that the buildings themselves were a source of some anxiety and stress for many of the potential participants that we would be working with. And um, and so they the the developers before me who had who had worked on it had identified a, a community center um, within within Rochester. It's really a church. Um, called the exchange co-op um, but it doesn't operate as you know a traditional church it's really um, their, their motto is everyone belongs um, everyone contributes and everyone grows and it was in line with some of the philosophy that we were we were trying to work on with with leap um, so we we were able to form a strong connection and relationship and collaborative opportunity with them that allowed our participants to come into really was a community center primarily um, and for us to rent space to do some of the educational program. So, you know, really an alternative setting. Um, if you if you showed up at it, you wouldn't know it was a school. Um, mm-hmm. And from there, other than that, they kind of said, well, what are you thinking and what do you want to do? And um, I, I guess that that's the kind of opportunity that I tend, tend to enjoy. Like, let's get creative. Um, I had a professor once described me as, um, creative to a fault um, in, in, those, in those regards. Like, okay, okay, we still have to have some sort of shape here. Uh, it can't just be, it can't be, if it's a triangle, it's a triangle, or it's a box, it's a box. It can't just be, it can't be nothing. So um, I, I really relished the opportunity and tried to rely on um, you know, my educational background, some of my previous work experience, um, and, and, and then researching on my own about things that were happening including things like neurosequential model and um, 
alternative interventions and and just really how to build build community and that became our became our focus um there was that first year that we operated um the team that i work with had attended the back to school training and it included kind of this 21st century education message that you know relationship relevancy and rigor um needed to happen um we added a fourth R um, regulation um, to our program design. So our, our the LEAP program kind of um, key pillars are our regulation. And we try to do that both individually and co-regulation as a group. Um, and then we create relationship. And that's a huge part of what we focus on. Um, and, and it's necessary for us. Um, and then relevancy we build in through some interventions once we first start connecting with our participants and and the rigor is kind of imposed both from mental health perspective and from the academic perspective we try to find some parallels where we can be supportive in that rigor and so we wanted to identify some strong pillars and um and then really just get creative about how we tried to deliver it um and we've we've found some success um there, it's not without challenge and without um, conflict, as you can imagine. Always, um, always, always. Yeah, and, and one of the things that we we remind ourselves is uh, of, especially with the population that we work with, that you know, after the conflict, we typically have been very successful in coming back together um, and finding some healing and moving forward, um, even even when those conflicts arise. So, yeah. Bucky, it's it's interesting that you're identifying this. You know, you said it's an al- an alternative program, and it's just so. I don't think I've stopped to think about it before, but that that word has, unfortunately, somewhat of a negative connotation, right? But yet, when you step back and you think about, oh, we had to think outside of the box, and somehow in public ed, when we think outside of the box, box is an alternative for our kids that can't be successful or traditional. But really, what you're doing is bringing elements in. Um, that you recognize are are important and in, into to a, to a lot of um, success for these kids that weren't successful in the quote unquote traditional setting, which is yeah, it's really interesting to think about it that way. Yeah, well, I I appreciate that, and you know we the the team that I work with, uh, and it's, it was initially three of us that worked very collaboratively together, the special ed teacher, myself. Um, and then the mental health professional that was um, contracted to provide services um, with Rochester Public Schools um, worked worked together initially to try to come up with you know, what we what we thought would be effective and how to how to move forward in it. And and no one was really directing us. I mean, there was really a lot of like trust placed on us and based upon our our previous experiences and um, and. And they said, let's see what you can come up with. And I will say, you know, right away, I said, well, we'll just operate five days of the week outdoors. And, you know, we'll be doing, you know, floats and week-long camping trips. And, and, and my, well, let's, let's rethink that a little bit. <laughs> um, I thought that was a, you know, a background and experience and um, that, that had been foundational for me and my pathway to, you know, working in schools. And so, um we did have to try to find how do we how do we do this um, you know within some framework of traditional school, but also 
um, really invest in um, the relationship ends. Um, I mean, the students that we work with, you know, another characteristic of them is they have aptitude. It's not an intelligence question. Um, so where does the struggle and the challenge come from? And um, so you know, we, we, hear, we heard the, the messaging at the beginning of the school year, um, that first year on you know, relationship relevancy and rigor. Um, but the traditional, the traditional box of education isn't rewarding or measuring educators, in my opinion, uh, on relationship. It's, it's measuring them on the rigor. Um, right. So, so, you know, if a teacher, if, if an educator or a teacher is being evaluated solely based upon their, their rigor and their academic success and output, well, how much time are they really going to spend on the relationship? And we, we knew that that's what was needed for the population of students that we were, that we were working with. So we tried to find opportunity and ways to really build relationship and not just with our staff at, at LEAP, but by having collaborative partners and within that community center that we could increase the network of positive relationships with for our participants. I love that. I love that. Hey, Bucky, if I'm a 16 year old kid coming to your school, uh, what does my week look like? I, I'm just kind of nuts and bolts. What, what, what might that journey be for that 16 year old who has not found success in, in any kind of traditional system? How is yeah. it different? How, what's a, what does that look like? Yeah, Steve. So, um, you know, by comparison, that 16 year old student didn't, didn't have much say previously um, into what their week looked like. And I, I mean, we, we have structure too, and we have routine and consistency, um, but our participants have, have say in that. Um, and so from, from the get-go or from, from initial, the, the process to be enrolled in LEAP is a little bit different. So, um, you know, traditionally, if one's going to be enrolled in a, or is enrolled or re receiving special ed services, that's, that's not necessarily determined by the voice of the, of the student. Um, and we use the word participant at LEAP, you know, it's just, um, yeah. so, so the student typically doesn't have, you know, much say, um. We've decided the adults have assembled and based upon what we're seeing, either behaviorally or academically, we're gonna make a recommendation for special ed services and the, the student to a certain degree, you know, may not agree with that. Um, and then there's a whole set of other factors that come into that. Well, you know, how much time are they in a setting three type environment where they're removed um, or, or doing something completely different than the rest of the, General, general student body or, um, and so we, we, we requested right away that, um, that they, they apply um, and then go through a process of application, interviewing, and then acceptance. Oh, and so, okay. you know, so right away, we, we try to convince them of the, or, or work with them to understand that, you know, they're driving the car. We didn't, we didn't place them in LEAP. This is something you came to us and you went through a process to determine whether or not you would you would be a potential applicant and participant in this program. Um, and so we we there's some empowerment there and some you know ownership there on their end. And and from there there's a bit of a um, 
almost interviewing. We describe it kind of as interviewing. It, initially, it was intended to kind of be an orientation. So that, that's kind of happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So we meet with them a series of times and we, we use an intervention out of the University of New Hampshire um, called Renew. Um, and, and we don't follow every step of Renew, but a main part of, of that we do use um, is a, it's called futures planning. And this futures planning is um, um, a mapping process, a graphic illustration process. And there's, there's a, a series of maps and it includes, with, it includes maps around their history. So we, we give them an opportunity to share about their past and what has led up to them to, to this point in their, in their career and in their life um, to them now being sitting in front of us, um, applying for and asking to be enrolled in LEAP. And we work with them to illustrate that. And in that illustration, we try to identify certain themes throughout, throughout their life. Um, and we do a today map. So, you know, what's going on in your life today? What are you involved in? Are you a part of, you know, groups or clubs or organizations? How do you, how do you spend your time? Um, we talk about strengths and accomplishments. So what are, what are some of your perceived strengths and, and proud moments in your life? Um, things that you, you believe you've uh, accomplished so far to date and who are people, you know, what, what connections and networks do you already have? And in all honesty, that was a little bit of an eye opener for us as facilitators of this process that in the training for it, at least I personally was kind of led to believe that that, that map would be quite full, that there would, there'd be all kinds of people in their lives that were, would be helping them and supporting them on their pathway to, to whatever goal they're working on, whether it's achieving their, their diploma or getting their driver's license. And to a certain degree, to our surprise, um, they didn't have that many people on those maps, on those resource mm -hmm. maps, which, which I think is, was reflective in our thinking that we wanted to create larger networks around them. That nice. um, how, do, how do we find quote unquote natural supports um, for 16 to 21 year olds that don't have a pocket full of natural support. So who can we bring in um, and, and put around them to help move them in that direction? Um, a what works doesn't work. So, you know, in an education setting or at work or at home, what are things that work for them and don't work with for them in terms of motivation or um, accomplishment or goal setting? Um, and so we, we really try to get this kind of baseline understanding of the individual. And it really allows us to do two things. One, it gets to us to get to know them in a, in a um, somewhat controlled environment. We're doing these in either one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one type scenarios. And so yeah. we have that, we, we begin to build some immediate relationship from the get-go. Um, and, and so it gives us a chance. And then we also can do some of the orientation, orientation pieces with them during that process. So, you know, we go over program expectations, we go over um, agreements, um, program agreements, um, we, we try to find out like, well, what are things that you think you'll specifically contribute to your group and to the program here. And, um, so really trying to build some relationship with them prior to ever uh, officially being enrolled. And then they do get a chance to come and spend some time with us. Now from this process, Steve, like your original, your question of like, what's their routine look like? 
This is how we build build their schedule. Um, and so they they identify goals depending on on their age and where they are in their academic career um, towards graduation. So it's it's IE their their graduation is IEP driven, and okay. those IEP goals are specifically connected to goals relevant to them. Um, and so, and, and then from there, we build that schedule. So if that 16 year old or 17 year old Steve or, or 20 year old um, comes in and, you know, says they're working 20 hours a week um, or 40 um, and, you know, doesn't necessarily um, know where they'll sleep at each night. Well, then our schedule tries to be reflective of that situation. Okay. And there is some involvement on them. Well, well what does work, work for you? Um, our typical operating hours are from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, and, and then we try to fill their time uh, accordingly um, and bring them in. And, and there's not necessarily like we have students, Steve, that most of it's done online. Um, okay. We can meet with them virtually. Um, we try to do things that really do support kind of social growth, so interacting with other people, but we're not going to try to force someone that says, right. you know, I, I can't sit through this social activity or through this social group. If that doesn't work for them, well, does that exclude them from moving towards graduation? And the approach has been no. And so um, really trying to figure out a schedule that, that is agreeable and works works for them. Hey, Bucky, I want to ask a question. It's phenomenal that you're giving agency back to these kids, to these yeah. students, not kids, to, to these students. But I'm also wondering, uh, assuming that that agency that they're experiencing is also probably fears, feels a little fearful. How do you deal, deal with that for some kids who have never been given agency in education and making it safe? Yeah, well, I, I, again, I think part of it was the, how do we make it look somewhat different than, than traditional school. Um, so again, the, the building, um, um, the building itself is one factor in that. Um, yeah. we, we have social, but we don't have traditional classrooms with rows of desks. We, we sit in circles. Um, yeah. We eat community lunch together. Um, we prepare and cook our, our meals together as part of the, part of the oh. programming. Um, and so part of it, part of it was around that, um, you know, part of the philosophy again is, is communicating, I think, um, you know, really trying to, really trying to create the idea that it, that it is a, a place for belonging and that it is a safe place. And so, you know, I, I mentioned like working collaboratively with the exchange, um, they're, they're a major part in helping make that happen. Um, the, the exchange itself is recognized in the community, in the immediate neighborhood of, of where we operate from that helps yeah. facilitates that safety. Um, and so, I, I mean, and then staff, I think is the other part of that, Jessica, like, um, I, I don't know, I read, you know, once like, you know, the intervention is part of it, but who, who and how you deliver the in, intervention may be just as important. Um, and I, and I think, I think we've been really lucky in that our that our staff is very hireable um, to the population that that we work with. Um, we try to really tear down some of the, the traditional 
kind of authority gap. Um, you know, we use first yeah. names. Uh, we, we don't. We don't. Um, we don't try to use coercion. I mean, we want to be honest and provide honest feedback. You know, situationally, and um, we take a values versus rules approach um, to our design. Um, you know, and that was that was based on you know work and research that I had done during my graduate studies and um, and some re-education principles and program programming that had come out of early wilderness therapy programming to re- to really like if we become stringent like you know Jenna, Jennifer I know Jessica I know people can't see you but you have a hat on like think of think of the rule in schools to say you, you can't wear a hat well why what what value is that connected to and and for our population of students I mean, that's, that's an immediate opportunity for conflict. And, and so, you know, we really try to early on to create that safe environment, Jessica, and is to try to find agreeable values. And safety is one of them, um, you know, being present, being here, being honest, um, being respectful. And, and then we have further conversation about what that looks like. Um, what does that look like to us individually and as a group? And, and when it's not happening, you know, if somebody's doing something in conflict with the value that we've agreed, that's the approach. It's not a, it's, you know, I hear you swearing today. It's not, you can't swear here, but the value, what's the value that's connected to that? Is, hmm. is there, is that creating an unsafe situation? Um, Right. And, and we have agreed to be safe with each other. So we try to use kind of that values approach um, to facilitate and create that safe environment. And there are values that, that we've identified and agreed upon collectively. I love that. I, I, I do too. When you said it, right, of like we're trying to create this real sense of belonging. And, you know, Bucky, you're aware of this, right? But just that sense of belonging goes a long way, especially with students who have felt marginalized their entire student existence. Um, And so it doesn't matter how good you are at teaching. It doesn't matter how fancy your building is. It doesn't matter how strong your curriculum is. If a student doesn't feel like they belong and have a sense of agency, it's, they're not going to, you're not going to get success. Yeah. And it, I mean, it is, I don't want to sugarcoat it in that it works all the time either Um, is the the reality for our students for many of our participants is that's been stressful to them for 16, 17 years. And so to, to get the buy-in um, and to accept that there's you know, something alternative or different or, or new being offered to them in that educa- education, education setting um, creates some stress and anxiety in itself. Sure. Um, and so we, and we have to work through that. Um, and, you know, typically, typically we can. Um, and so it's not, it, it's, it's actually a, a tool and technique that um, you know, is kind of full value contract um, is how it was initially introduced to me. Um, and it was a primary tool used in the wilderness programming that I had you know, worked in and earlier in my career that it was something that was established early on in groups in that programming. What are, what are our agreements with one another? Um, and it, and it's not to say that we're going to do it 
with perfection or without fault. But, but then we have to come back to that and have some discussion uh, around, around our agreements and values. So that's a pretty great segue to the wilderness side of this. Yeah. I know we're Please. both, all three of us are super interested in that aspect and bringing a little more of that outdoor wilderness focus to not just to your special program, but even as we think of programs in, you know, schools in general, how valuable that is. But we look to you as, as someone who's a lot of experience to tell us a little more about it. Yeah. Uh, and also, Bucky, if you wouldn't mind, I think one thing, sorry, Rainer, to interrupt you, um, is, you know, you, you joked when we started, right? Of like, why, why would you want me to talk? I'm not a licensed, you know, teacher per se. And I said, well, that's probably the best. I think actually <laughs> one of the things that you bring that is so strong is your, is your resume, right? Your background of, of nature, and of, of just innately coming to this system already thinking differently. And so we, I'd love for you to share a little bit about kind of your past work and in different roles and in, in programs and, and yes, that connection to what you do now. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, I, I will say it's sometimes a challenge for me to find the, the overlap, um, at least like clearly. Um, I mean, there are elements that I can, uh, yeah, program elements, for example, like the full value contract and um, you know things of that from that type of programming. Um, um, but it is sometimes difficult for me to to make the connections. I mean, in in many ways, I mean, the reasons I enjoy wilderness are one, you know, just for me personally. That um, without getting into details of you know my own wilderness and outdoor activity was was a place of safety and comfort for me um, for for large parts of my life and continues to be, you know, if I want to, you know, regulate, I can you know, go outside and hang out with the trees a little bit or sit around a fire or, or, or go for a walk. Um, those were, that was always a source of, of comfort for me. Um, you know, philosophically, I, I think wilderness and outdoor type programming, um, you know, increases the potential for learning multiple fold, um, primarily that it, it include, includes multiple um, functional domains. So, you yeah. know, if we, we're gonna talk intellectually or physically or emotionally, socially, spiritually, wilderness, wilderness provides all of those. Um, in contrast to you know, sitting in a classroom or outdoor programming, con comparatively to sitting in a classroom, it's, it's somewhat sterile, um, it's, it's not an organic, um, the, the consequences typically aren't organic or natural, um, they're manufactured. And so in many ways, it, it lends itself to a, a greater and stronger connection. Um, and so, you know, can you smell it? Can you taste it? Can you hear it? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the, uh, it all becomes part of the, the learning experience in that, in that setting where it's harder to replicate that or to facilitate that in a four-walled, windowless classroom. Um, and so the, the other part is, you know, I, I, hear, I hear frequently the idea of like, we'll go to the wilderness to disconnect um, or go to the woods to disconnect. And well, if we just reframed it to like go there to connect, like I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't go, I don't, yeah, I, you're, you're all in agreement. I mean, I don't, I don't go outdoors or go canoeing or, um, go fishing to disconnect. 
I go there to connect um, to, a, to a much larger um, you know, system and biome and community than, than what I'm connected to um, in a different way through, through my te technology. So I just think re reframing that a little bit, um, it, it scares traditional education. I mean, even at the collegiate level, kind of outdoor and experiential and travel programming, it, there's just such a, you know, it's somewhat to do with, um, you know, legal um, and concern for liabilities and negligence um, that, that outdoor programming can, can cause some hesitation. Um, and, and that's unfortunate because I, I, yeah. I just think it's such a, such a strong tool. Um, and, and a larger picture has, such implications on our perceived reality of how the world works. Um, yeah. I mean, so, so much of the messaging is that it's dangerous and don't go. I mean, a scenario with my, with one of my older daughters, I mean, she's, and she's nine. So older though, she's the older of the two. Um, you know, she, she's all about getting muddy and dirty and picking up bugs and finding cicada shells. And, you know, one day she came home and, mm. you know, she'd gotten in trouble for collecting which is a behavior of children to collect and gather and uh, for collecting cicada bugs, the, the sheaths, the, the shells the, uh, that they shed. Um, and, and it was kind of told, well, that, you know, that's dirty and, you know, you don't, you don't want to pick oh. those up. And, you know, and on the other end of it, my younger daughter, um, as a kindergartner, she, she, there was a, a stretch of days. Um, she, she's actually in first grade now, but last last winter when they weren't allowed to go outside because it was because it was cold, you know. And and she, you know, she said to me, you know, Papa, you have to tell them it's okay. Like, you know, for those of us that that can, I mean, not, I mean, that's that's the reality too. Not every child has the proper gear or what they need to go out, and and so I I, I get that you know, we want to keep children safe. And, um, but you know, she said, they, they won't let us go out. It's too cold. <laughs> She's like, you have to convince them that, that we should get to go outside. You know, and I was like, well, I don't know that I'm going to be able to convince them, but, but it was, you know, to, to the point of like, we're, we're, we're getting further and further away, it seems from the idea of, of being connected, mm -hmm. um, which ultimately I mean, if we can't be connected to our natural world, it's going to be a real challenge just for us to be connected to each other. Oh, um, thank you. And so, thank you for saying that. Yeah. And so it, it is philosophically, it's at a core, um, but it does become difficult, I think, to try to implement pieces of it into the, into the program. And we, we, we do spend out time outside. Um, Pre-COVID, one day of the week was purely kind of a recreational type day where we... Um, you know, went, you know, sledding or fishing or canoeing or for walks around the neighborhood. Um, it, it, that's, that's what the day was set up for. And so Steve in that individual student schedule, it was kind of an optional day. Like this is happening on that day. Yeah. If it fits in the schedule that you have for yourself, then, then you are invited to be a participant and join. Oh, I love that. I love it. I want to jump a little bit deeper into this. You talked about kind of this, this role of perception um, and how nature has provided you with a skill, I think, to kind of uh, perceive 
in a way that's maybe not as judgmental. And even when we, when we were preparing for this podcast, Bucky, you, you, you sent us this quote that uh, kind of seems to, to ring true for you and kind of as a foundation for how you guide and blend nature, um, the sense of connectionness with the sense of, of behavioral perception in the educational system. And the quote you sent us says, um, I did not look at him. I knew eye contact might be threatening just, at it, just as it is for many animals. I pulled the curtains surrounding his crib partially closed so that all he could see was me or the nurse's station. That way he would be less distracted by the children in the adjacent beds. And that was from The Boy Who's Raised as a Dog, um, written by Dr. Perry. But I was wondering if you can connect that of what does this idea of behaviors that we experience in education and how we, as those with the power, perceive and the influence that that can have. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, when I when I read that, I mean, and you know, I I, I don't know much about Dr. Perry's personal background, but I, I think you grew up in North Dakota. And I can and, tell you, just ask. <laughs> just ask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll um, say this, Bucky. He was uh, definitely an outdoors kid. Yeah. Who spent time, especially with his dad, out in in. Uh, you know, and fishing and hunt, hunting and, and the, those sorts of things. So yeah, very connected in that way. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, I, you know, I don't know, you know, what led up to him having, you know, that, that reflection or that kind of attunement to recognize um, the potential there. But when, it, when I read it, what it communicated to me is that he had spent time paying attention to um, the behaviors of not just, you know, humans, but other beings and animals um, and nature and and trying to understand what was happening with with void of necessarily knowing um, and so this is you know this is connected I think partially to the work that I did um, with with raptors and eagles at the National Eagle Center um, you know for 11 years I worked um, as a as an outdoor educator and interpreter and part of my work there was, avian care, so working and providing care and training to the educational um, eagles of the center. Um, and these are highly traumatized eagles um, injured in the wild. Um, typically their first interaction with a human being um, was highly stressful. I mean, here they are injured on the ground and now a human being is, you know, kind of chasing them around and trying to capture them. Um, and then and then transporting them to a, a care facility. So you know, these will all be big T's uh, if they were if they were human human beings. Big trauma experiences, and then they come to be uh, the National Eagle Center under permit of being used in education programming, and we we work with them. Uh, work, uh, staff would work with them and train with them to essentially sit on the arm of a handler, be in large audiences, uh, and interact with humans. Um, none of which is in their inherent desire to do. Um, but that's not, that's not what an eagle wants or expects. And part of the daily routine of caring for the eagles was to document observed behavior. Um, and so, you know, if, if Jessica was the eagle, you know, at about three times per hour, there would be some, some note um, jotted down about observe behavior. And oftentimes the observation said things like, Jessica was angry. 
and uh, or or Jessica was chill. Uh, and and then as staff we were coming back together, I said, well, well, why did that's an interpretation of a behavior that you saw. I want to I want to know what what the behavior was that led you to the interpretation of Jessica mm. being angry mm. or, or Jessica being chill because that's that's based on your own filter you 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 recognizing or saying Jessica is chill or Jessica is angry is based on your experience and filter of that of what you're observing and I mean and this was simultaneously I was working in schools in a different program I was working as a mental health practitioner uh, in a in a different different building it was prior to my position here that I said well look we're really just trying to see behavior and then try to understand a what's the source of that behavior and and b what are some what are some potential interpretations of that and I see this in IEPs and the documentation all the time. Student is lazy. Mm-hmm. Well, well, first of all, why did you ever write that? You know, you're, that student is going to be what you say. Um, <laughs> you yeah, know, so no well, wh- why would you want to write that about them? And two, like, that's your interpretation of the behavior that you're observing. It doesn't necessarily mean that that student is lazy. So we, we want to at the Eagle Center, we wanted to work really hard, just really to understand that that's a behavior, document the behavior that you're seeing, and then let's collectively try to understand as a group, as, as providers, care providers for that Eagle, what are some of the circumstances and situations um, that we can potentially work through to be supportive and create a safe environment for that Eagle? And it transcends the human interaction. Yeah. And so when I read that quote, I mean, he, he was acting the same way that we, he was behaving the same way that we would behave with the, with the eagles. I mean, here's an apex predator. I work with, I work with hypervigilant 16 to 21 year olds that are acutely in tune to their environment, just like an eagle. Mm-hmm. They're paying attention to my rate of speech, to my facial expression, to my gait, my tone. I mean, they, I mean, and they had to because they have to survive just like an eagle. And so we want to be, we work, we work there to be really careful about like, what's the behavior? Let's try to figure out what's behind that behavior and how do we do environmental changes or, or, or our own facial recognition or our own mannerisms to try to mitigate that behavior. Um, and and I, I like I just I just think that you know the the, the book itself is um, the boy was raised as dog is you know there's it's a you know a great introduction for people and you know so powerful that um, you know I think a, a core a core reading for really anybody working in human services um, of any kind um, but there there were there were you know, sentences or lines or statements like that, um, similar to this, that were so profound. One for me personally also was the, the, the best predictor or the, perhaps the greatest predictor of what type of parent you will be was the type of parent you had. Um, you know, and as a, a parent of two children, like I try to pay so much attention to that. Like, am, am, I, am I being a safe parent? Um, and, and if not, where did that come from? And if I am, where did that come from? Um, it, I mean, there are just lines in there that 
you know, resonated very deeply for me. And that, and that was one of them, you know, on, on top of just kind of the whole, the whole concept and idea, but, but yeah. what I mean. I think you're really, really onto something that we must pay attention to in education. Um, And I love what you just said, that that student is going to be what you say. And I don't think that we truly get that when it comes to, yes, uh, FBAs, BIPs, IEPs. We interpret. And that interpretation comes from our experience and our lens. And oftentimes our interpretation drives our response and, and exacerbates the issue. And we yes. truly do not pause to understand the why. Right. Um, yeah, I think that is, has huge ramifications, huge. Yeah. Um, I think the other piece, you know, it's, and, and you and I have talked a little bit about this kind of in our, in our connection to, to one another, Bucky, but you also kind of bring up, um, this notion of, you know, what is therapeutic? What, mm. what is, what, what should a school be allowed to do and not to do? And when does it become therapy? Right. And um, I wonder if you can speak a little bit to that, because that's also reminding me of this, of yeah. the environment around these students. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in that, when we, we touched base about a little bit, that's, that's been a, uh, you know, kind of a thought in my mind for years. My, my, my thesis and my graduate work was around defining wilderness therapy um, and trying to determine, you know, what's, what's kind of human development programming, what's therapeutic programming, and, and what's therapy. Um, they're all kind of mass marketed in the same format, but they, they really were different programming. Um, and so it's, it's been something that I've thought about, um, you know, for years. Um, my, my wife, Angie, is actually a, a licensed clinical social worker. Um, she's, you know, very skilled and talented therapist. Um, she worked in trauma-focused therapy for years and, um, you know, really was a, uh, adhered to and followed um, Bessel van der Kolk's you know, kind of philosophies and teachings. And, um, I mean, she's forgotten more about the type of work that I do than than I'll ever know, really. I mean, she's very skilled and talented. And we, we would joke, you know, I, I say, okay, so you're a, you're a therapist and you see four clients a day for one hour and that generates X amount of dollars of income for you um, as, a, as a therapist for Olmstead County. Um, and I'm a program coordinator working with 10 of your potential clients for eight hours a day. And that generates a certain amount of income for me. I mean, so just from like the economic perspective, um, and I, I remember this, like when I was working in that previous programming as the mental health practitioner, um, you know, if they had, you know, a therapist uh, or a probation officer, there was typically once a week where a therapist or a probation officer would come in and meet with the, with our mutual participants or clients, um, and very rarely was there any communication or check-in with either myself or with the classroom teacher. I said, well, well look, I, I just spent in, you know, in a four hour week um, or a five, five day week, you know, four to eight hours a day. I spent a lot of time with that student. Um, are you interested in any observations or perspectives or things that I've seen this week? And it, 
it, it was confusing to me. It, it was really quite confusing to me. And so, you know, again, when I, when I read and I listened to and heard um, Dr. Perry, um, his kind of thought process around, you know, therapeutic being equally, if not potentially more impactful for that experience. Um, I mean, it was very validating for me in all honesty that, you know, I, I do second guess. I, I'm not a licensed school staff, but I work in a school. And like, how did, how I, or I coordinate a program for schools? Like how, how I ever found myself in that position is a little bit. And, and I don't particularly adhere to or believe in the traditional tried and true method of education. You know, I, I mean, I was a lifelong learner and, you know, participated in public education and pursued higher education to at least the master's level. And, you know, maybe we'll pursue more and really do think I'll, I'll continue to learn and be a part of education for a long time. But I, but I really don't personally believe it's the most effective or the, or the best, best method of teaching. Um, And so, so there's, so when I heard, heard this kind of messaging that, you know, really just in this two to three minute interaction, or I've heard up to 12 minutes, like if you can have 12 minute dosing of relational interaction, where you're really engaged and attuned um, to whoever it is you're working with and, you know, paying attention and engaged with them um, to the level that is safe. Um, And that might just be sitting with them. Right. We've worked with therapists within our own program. Well, they, they don't want to meet with me. And I said, well, of course not. I mean, they, Either, either A, they've been meeting with therapists for their whole lives, um, and they're still kind of struggling with some of the same core issues, or, or B, they have no reason really to trust and invest in adults. That, that's been their experience. So if, if, if they're not wanting to meet with you, like in the formal sit down and talk for 45 minutes, the challenge is for you to find another way to interact with them, you know, whether, it's, whether it's you just sitting there with them um, or, or doing what they want to do for a little while, or being a part of some other activity that they are participating in. And because it just seems like such a contrast to say that, that the therapy happens here and then you go somewhere else and it's, and it's not necessarily being applied, but if we create the therapeutic environment and we have therapeutic opportunities and therapeutic growth, then perhaps we can see that. And, and so, you know, if we go back to the Eagle, Eagle um, comparison or analogy, like the staff is, the staff is developing therapeutic interactions with that Eagle to gain trust collectively. So we can ask that Eagle to do things that it really doesn't want to do. So the, the therapeutic allows it to address some of its Mm-hmm. therapy needs and it's semantics yeah. to me it really just becomes kind of semantics yeah. and it becomes more about like billing and dollars than about what is what is the right thing to be doing like when when we early on in the design programming of leap we the idea really was that i wasn't really interested in whether or not participants had 45 minute therapy sessions what i was interested in is was I want the therapist embedded in all the things that are happening. Yeah, exactly. And we do experiential things. Like I mentioned, we, you know, we cook our lunch together. We host several groups throughout the day. We do individual work. We go on community recreation activities. And I really wanted the therapist 
to be connected to, to all of those all entities. Of well, that, that's just not supported in the current model of therapy. Like, well, and, and, and so it just, it just is confusing to me how, I mean, I'm not a therapist, but I, but I work to create therapeutic environments in our team and bringing other people on board. The whole idea for us on that relationship end is to build a community of therapeutic supports around them. Well, um, well, Bucky, I can I can speak as a therapist, right, and as a yeah. school social worker. Um, that not only is that something that needs to change, but it's it's hard to be in that position. It's hard to get an IEP of like, okay, well, this kid, um, I need to see forty five minutes, uh, you know, every other week to fulfill IEP minutes, and then on top of that, I've got forty other kids that I've got to see, and so right. this kid's time is Tuesday at ten a.m. and if yeah. this. If he, she, they does not want to come with me at that time, I have no idea what else to do, but it's the limitations of the system around me. And yeah. for myself personally, as a clinician, I have a private practice. I love, I love what I do. I feel like I'm good at what I do, but I, without a doubt, believe that the strength of the educational system to begin, yes, to getting kind of outside of this thinking of like, what's therapy, what's therapeutic, that if this kid enters a school like yours, in which they are consistently dosed for probably around 30 hours a week with what one deems as therapeutic interactions, which is really just kind of coming back to the root of what it means to be a good educational system, that those doses are are way more influential than I'm going to be able to do in an hour in 45 minutes. And we have to shift this. We have to, because me pulling a kid out of the classroom me putting the kid in a 30 minute social skills group every other week. It's just not working. So I just, everything that you just said resonated with me. I just loved it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would guess too, Bucky, it's super important in the therapeutic community you're creating is how well your team gets along. How attuned are the kids to that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, it's a great question. Um, Steve and I, you, you know, um, but this is our this is our third full year of operation, um, and you know myself and the special ed teacher and some of the you know more administrative and supportive pieces have been consistent. Um, the, we have at different times had um, different skills workers be a part of the team and or different therapists. So we have a contract with the community service provider that does the therapy, and that's been more fragmented. And yeah, um, and so that you know, that has been a, a challenge. You know, we, we follow a parallel process with our students. And this is, a, you know, again, maybe out of the wilderness programming. And, um, you know, we, the, a lesson that I was often communicated in that programming is, um, um, or was that if you as a staff member are, are feeling stressed or chaotic or disheveled, well, your participant in the wilderness program, in particular in that messaging in the wilderness program, it's tenfold. I mean, they, they didn't ask to be out in the woods. They were, they've been enrolled in something, you know, some, someone placed them there. And so the, the, we, that transfers to our setting there as well. You know, we, we do our check-ins with our staff. We are in close connection. We, you know, we don't take things personally. If, you know, if I see Jessica's, you know, stressed out and, hey, I think you might be the trigger for Steve right now, then you know, it's, it, it, it's intervene time and say, Hey, you know what, Steve, let, you know, you take a break. I got this. Um, 
and, and, and that's, that's kind of the mindset and the operation. And we get along well personally. It's not like we hang out every night together. We're on different kind of ends of, you know, age and, and family structures. But, but we, we definitely connect and we use the same tools and communication messaging with each other that we use with our participants. Yeah, that's, that's so yeah. I, I just remember having a student say to me one time is, I really feel safe in this school because you guys all really like each other. Yeah, that was her yeah. words. You really like each other. And, and yeah. that was a, a safety factor and uh, encouragement to, to want to be the same. Yeah. Right. Bucky, you've given us so much to think about. Um, I really appreciate all your time today. And I think also just again, of, of you giving permission that like, let's think outside the box, right? Yeah. Like, and <laughs> I'm gonna try to stop using the, the word alternative because it's like yeah. the whole system needs an alternative. So where do you want me to go from here, everybody, right? Yeah. Um, and you are doing such good work. Um, yeah. So thank you for, for your time. Thank you for teaching us, for inspiring us, um, and, and changing the system. It, it, I just can't say enough. So, well, well, thank you, Jessica and Steve and Jamie, and you know, just a you know, quick thank to some of my upper abouts too. You know that that they gave me this opportunity to, to yeah. do this and to explore this and to to try different things. And without you know their trust and faith, we I wouldn't have the opportunity. I mean, I, I believe the program would be happening in another in another way, shape, or form, but. Um, I'm just very grateful for that opportunity too. Awesome. Well, thanks for your and time And I thank today. you for the invite that Steve gets to come and take the leap down there in Zumbrota. So Ab absolutely, Steve. We'd, we would love to have you. Let's, love let's, let's but, and all up. of you. Yes. Yes. Thank Someday. you. Thanks, Bucky. Oh, I think Jamie should drive over. I don't see why not. Come on, Jamie. <laughs> I'll head over. I'll start right now. Okay. See you in like you. 20 hours. <laughs> Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> Thank you, Bucky. Hey, thanks, Bucky. Thank Wonderful. you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it so much. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Mm -hmm.